This is a closed environment, uh, an environment that is essentially a fortress of secrecy, which is indeed then a breeding ground for violence. And I think it is so important to maintain that outside contact to ensure that people in prison are being treated as human beings, that human rights are not being violated. Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. We've received a notice from two prisoners who are being held in the Secure Housing Unit, or SHU, at Wabash Valley Correctional Facility. Reporting that the facility staff have been keeping the heat in the shoe off or barely on, even when the outside temperatures are extremely low. As the temperature is dropping again, IDOC Watch and other prisoner support groups are asking the community to call in to the office of the warden at Wabash Valley Correctional Facility and request that the heat in the shoe be turned up. To show your support, you can call 812-398-5050, extension 8, and ask to speak with the warden. If you call, you can tell whomever you reach that the inmates in the shoe are reporting that the temperature in their unit is freezing cold and the heat needs to be turned up. This week, we're starting with a statement from Anastasia Schmidt in the Indiana Women's Prison. She walks us through a brief history of how prisons, and specifically the modern practice of prison slave labor, came about. She also talks through some basics about how prison serves to isolate those on the inside and the importance of outside support in making sure that prisoners are treated like human beings. Some of what she says resonates with the reports we're hearing from the work stoppage and strike in the Florida prison system, Operation Push. We'll update you on what we know about Operation Push after we hear from Anastasia. researching the history of prisons, particularly women's prisons. Prisons as we know it in America were basically created as an answer for the abolition of slavery, which is pretty messed up if you really think about it. So a uh, civil war happens, uh, emancipation of the slaves happened. Now we have all these free men. You know, there were a lot of people in this country that were not real happy about that happening. People had to figure out what can we do to maintain control over these people, for one, and for two, how can we continue to have free labor? So what ended up happening was a bunch of laws go into effect for all types of petty offenses that were not previously crimes, like vagrancy was one of those things petty theft and whatever. So if you consider a person who had been a slave, while they were in slavery, you know, their housing, their food, the whatever was taken care of for the most part by the master of uh, the plantation or what have you. So now these people are free. Well, guess what? Hey, guess what? Today you're free. Guess what you don't get? No money, no clothes, no housing, no job, no nothing. You're just thrown out. Now, we can compare this to modern-day prison. This is exactly what happens to the prisoner. You're done with your sentence. Guess what? Get out. No money, no housing, no clothes, no nothing. Figure it out. Make your way in the world. Well, guess what? You had, in those days, the taint of being a slave. In these days, 
My friend Michelle Jones likes to call it the taint of criminality, the felony conviction. Well, guess what? Nobody wants to rent a house to you. Nobody wants to give you a job. So you're left in this precarious position of not able to make basic needs and sustenance. were homeless. Homelessness became against the law. They might have had to steal in order to eat and sustain themselves. That was against the law. All these things happen, become against the law. They incurred criminal charge. Guess what? Now you're going to prison. So the 13th Amendment made slavery legal when a felony conviction happens. So slavery is abolished except under felony conviction. So prison became the new way to continue slavery. And so what ends up happening is we move into what was known as convict leasing, which essentially was slavery. Now you have all these convicts, felony convictions, you can still use them as slaves. So what would happen is sometimes the very same plantation owners would call the prisons now and they'd say, hey, I need X amount of people to come work in this mine or work in this field or build this railroad or whatever the case may be. So the prison would lease them out, this batch of convicts, let's say 20, 50, 150 people, whatever the case may be. Now here was the difference. If it was a slave, a slave was a piece of your property, therefore you wanted to make sure that that person maintained good health, good upkeep, because if something happened to them, you lose money. A prisoner, on the other hand, was disposable. It didn't matter. You could literally work that person to death, and if they died, oh well, call the prison, ask for another one. They'd send you some more out. So actually, convict leasing becomes even worse than the conditions people had in slavery. And this is something that we've seen carry on over the years. You know, we might not in every state have the traditional chain gang like we were seeing in convict leasing, but you still have this. And, and you especially have it with the prisons that have become privatized across the country. There are now major corporations that instead of building their factories overseas and trying to get cheap labor that way, have moved these factories inside prisons. So what you have are these people working literally for 25 cents an hour, a dollar a day. You have no benefits you have to pay, no overhead, no none of that. It's essentially slave labor. So one of the core reasons that this started was for that reason. How do we perpetuate slavery for the intent of free or extremely minimal cost labor? That's one. And two was the other one, the disenfranchisement, the social control. Uh, in many states across the U.S., once you have a felony conviction, you can no longer vote for life. Well, guess what? If you're locked out of the vote, you don't have a whole lot of say anymore in what happens politically in this country. So, you know, if we look back at some other elections, whole elections have been won on locking out this many people out of the vote. I mean, right now, I think there's 70 million Americans that have felony convictions, and a substantial portion of those people can't vote. Those are the two main reasons. And then what happens is while you're here, 
you really have no way or means to sustain yourself or your family. So if we're talking about women, this brings a whole other level in. The majority of women who are incarcerated also have children. Now that you've left, your children are either A, in system in some way, so many of these women have completely lost their children, or at the very least they've lost them for a portion of time. For the women that are fortunate enough that have family or friends meet their kids, you still have the deal of the disconnect between the children, and you see many problems arise. Children end up with all kinds of problems without their mom. I think this is why a lot of times we see that incarceration becomes generational. When you have that disconnection and that severance of the family tie, abandonment issues come in. There's fertile ground for abuse or violence, addictions, all sorts of other problems stem from this. Children do more poorly in school. Uh, they end up with anger problems, depression problems. I mean, the list just goes on and on uh, by the severance of the tie with the mother. So. You know, it, it truly is a blessing if you happen to be one of the women that has the support outside of here to keep you tied to your children, to try to keep the family unit as much intact as possible. But that is a huge devastation on anyone, even people without kids, that sense of family and community. And like I said, I mean, most people in prison, if they're lucky, they're making a dollar a day, okay? Mm -hmm. So most of these jobs are paying anywhere from 10 cents to 25 cents an hour. A high-end paying job, you might make $30 a month. Ever since privatization has happened, it actually costs money to be in prison now. Nothing is just given to you. The quality of food that is provided in prisons is substandard at best. You have to pay to do laundry. Obviously, you have to pay to talk on the phone or to email or send mail out. Uh, hygiene items are extremely expensive on the commissary. Mm -hmm. So if you're making $30 a month, you really can't even live on $30 a month, let alone maintain contact with family systems. And for women, especially women with children, families taking care of their kids, a lot of times that, those family members with that extra burden of the children all their extra money goes into sustaining those women's children. Well, guess what? There's nothing left for the woman herself. So it puts people in a very precarious situation in here where they're just trying to survive to get basic needs met, trying to maintain contact as best as you can. But when you're talking about a telephone call that is no less than 5 or $6 for 20 minutes, emails that are 33 cents per email, a stamp nowadays, what is that up to? 50 cents a stamp. I mean, it's very, very expensive to even maintain contact with the outside world. So, you know, just the severance of tie and support is highly detrimental, not just to the person inside, but to all the people who are left behind. Uh, the employer that no longer has an employee, uh, the landlord or the person who now the person is no longer there, there's been eviction, there's that we have to deal with. You know, we could talk about this all day, the list just keeps going on of the detriment, but those are a few. This is a closed environment, uh, an environment that is essentially a fortress of secrecy, which is indeed then a breeding ground for violence. And I think it is so important to maintain that outside contact to ensure that people in prison are being treated as human beings, that human rights are not being violated. I mean, it's not really a secret or a surprise anymore. Rape happens inside prisons, assault happens inside prisons. 
psychological abuse, targeting, harassment, all kinds of horrific things happen here. And so if you are a person who has lost all ties and all connections and you are severed off from the inside, outside world, you have nowhere to turn for help. And that's a problem. I mean, in theory, there's a system that is supposed to be set up internally that is there for your protection, but let's keep it real. That doesn't always work. And that system is interconnected. And retaliation is alive, it's well, it's real. So there are real reasons why people who are being victimized inside don't tell. Uh, you run the risk of further violence. You run the risk of worse things happening to you. So it, it can be a very scary state. It can be a very lonely and isolating state. And, you know, this is a big, big reason why people need to maintain their ties. If something is going wrong with you, you have to know that you have an outlet of outreach that you can tell somebody, hey, this is what's happening to me. And I have to tell you because I cannot trust that the system is really going to protect me. And now an update on Operation Push. Prisoners in Florida are reporting that the Department of Corrections is making a series of concessions in some facilities in order to weaken the Operation Push strike. Most of these concessions do not respond to the prisoners' demand, but instead aim at increasing the comfort of their captivity. Regardless, the situation demonstrates the power of collective action, even in violently repressive contexts like prison. Current concessions include expanded canteen hours, expanded phone access, new fitness equipment and wellness programs, new bedding and new study areas. However, many of these concessions are superficial, as one prisoner noted that he's familiar with the flame-resistant Bob Barker brand foam mats brought in as new bedding, and that everyone knows the foam gets flat in 30 days. And at least some facilities, guards with reputations for abuse have been fired, and there are new requirements for retraining the remaining guards. We'll give you more information on Operation Push as information comes in. Lastly, we finished talking to Craig. Over the past two episodes of KiteLine, Craig has shared his experiences in the local jail as well as in facilities across the state. As we continue our conversation, Craig compares the Monroe County Jail to the Howard County Jail. He gives his observations on the influence of gangs on the inside and analyzes the differences in medical care between the facilities. Here's Craig. In Howard County, you don't get out of your cells as much. So you're doing a lot of time in a room with at least one, more than likely two other individuals. The time that you're doing in there is spent reading or playing cards or whatever it may be. So when you do get a chance to get out and interact, it's like little kids that on a cold winter's day that don't get to go outside, they go stir crazy. They just want to run around and go, go nuts. In my opinion, what I noticed was there's a lot of more more build-up energy during those times out. A lot of the guys, a majority of the guys in Howard County have been to prison. They are more than likely going back to prison. It's more of a prison atmosphere. There's a lot more fights. There's a lot more extortion. A lot more people getting checked out of a block it's just kind of the atmosphere of you better watch your back at all times to be checked out of a block is if you are the one being checked out somebody's basically standing over you saying you're not going to live here 
I'm not going to live with you. You need to hit the call button, emergency button, or go tell the guard that you can't live here and you need to either go to protective custody or you need to go to another block to where you're you're not going to be here. It shows weakness on the person who's leaving. Now, I've seen people be asked to check out and say, you're not checking me out. If we need to fight, we'll fight, but I'm not going anywhere. And that oftentimes, more than not, will lead to a fight. But it shows the person that who's trying to make them leave that they're not a punk and they're not going to they're not going to stand for get ordered around by somebody. They may take a butt whooping, but, you know, usually it at least squashes whatever may have been the beef prior to that. Sometimes it's because they've done them dirty out on the street. Um, then they come and they get locked up and they're together and it's like, oh, you did this or you've done that. Sometimes it's while they've been in there, they gambled and occurred a debt that they have yet to pay. I'm not discounting that it doesn't occur in Monroe County. In Howard County, the block is bigger, so there's more people, but there's also two officers that are inside the block with you at all times. So while you're out of the out of your room and there's 75 guys running around or doing whatever, there's two officers constantly in there. So there's a little bit more of the officer looking at what's going on, walking around, checking, making sure there's not anything, you know, that's not supposed to be going on going on. Whereas in Monroe County, the blocks aren't as big, and yes, officers will walk through once an hour, but it's as predictable as the sun coming up in the morning. You know when they're coming in or whatnot. So if a fight's going to be taking place, they can go into the, a room or into the bath shower area, and they could fight, and nobody would ever know about it. Comparatively, you don't find as many people getting in trouble in Monroe County for fighting as you do in Howard County. The commissary is different. Everything from the, the brand and the type of stuff that's available to the amounts of what it costs or how many of a certain item you can get. And in jail, as well known, commissary is currency. Whether it's a ramen noodle or whether it's a, a honey bun or, or a stamped envelope, everything has a dollar amount or price you know, fixed to it. And so there's all kinds of different Ways that people have money being exchanged. You know, if they're if they're gambling, you know, quote unquote, they'll bring their money to the table. But then there's times when there's gambling that hey, I'll pay you on store day when when the commissary comes in, and so oftentimes that's when a lot of the fights would occur. And more of a prison mentality in Howard County as opposed to Monroe County. On store day, everybody has to be locked down while commissary is being passed. Because if not, some young kid who's never been to jail and has no idea how the world works in there goes and gets a 40 or $50 order of commissary. He may not even make it back to his room without some bigger guy coming up and hitting him across the face, taking his bag of commissary and saying, mine now. And what's he going to do? There's a lot more gang affiliation in Howard County as far as a lot of these guys are had been to prison. They've done a substantial amount of time in prison, enough that... While they were there for their own protection, they decided to affiliate with some gang. And then that culture of gangs pair up with other gangs. And so I think they do it oftentimes because they're strength in numbers. And if you're going to fight me, well, that's fine. But you've got these guys you're going to have to fight as well. So you have a little politicking, if you will, in all jails, more so in prisons. 
But like I said, the volume of people that were in the Howard County Jail, they're just by sheer numbers, there's more of that that goes on there. In all the jails, when you come in, you are asked a battery of questions. You're asked if you are affiliated with a gang. Sometimes, whether they are or they're not, they will say no. Because usually, like in prison, that gets you flagged it for STG, which is a security threat group. However, in prison, when you go through the Regional Diagnostic Center, the RDC, you have to show all tattoos that you have. Many gangs carry a certain symbol or, or tattoo that affiliates them that shows that they've got their patch of said gang. What I've seen is a lot of people, if they've never been tagged as in a gang, they won't necessarily want to offer that information up because then it will always be with them. You know, it'll follow them next time they come back to the jail or whatever it may be. Or if they would go to prison and oftentimes you're red flagged if you're labeled that. So, however, in Howard County, it was almost like a, a badge of honor, if you will, where guys would walk around like, oh yeah, I'm whatever gang. It seemed like they were looking at it as it was giving them more power, credibility, and the ability to then prey on the weaker. There's always going to be people who have never been to jail before. They usually stick out like a sore thumb. Those that are smaller in stature are usually easier targets. Those who flaunt what they've got, whether it be extra clothes, extra food, it's usually a big target. Doing enough time, you will learn a little of the inner workings of the gangs not not their specifics and you know all that stuff but you will see just when a guy goes up and gives another guy a handshake you'll notice hey that's not a normal handshake you'll notice that this guy and this guy have the same tattoo this guy and this guy hang out a lot together you know if there was ever a group demonstration they're going to stick together over over the rest of them as far as the interaction with the guards oftentimes in higher county the guards know who's affiliated a lot more possibility for direct contact with the guards. There have been guards in Howard County that have been assaulted and badly injured by inmates. The stories are, you know, almost legendary. They're written all over the walls and and everything in in the jail. But there's been several of them that have been beaten and bloodied, and the inmates that did them got outside charges. One officer defecated on himself and uh, never lived that down. Gives the rest of the inmates a reason to make fun of him. When I first came into Monroe County, I was called down to medical to have a brief check. Didn't last five minutes. I think they they weighed me. They took my blood pressure. They asked me if I had any ailments or blood pressure like problems, histories, mental illnesses. You say no, no, no. Uh, okay, we'll see you later. If you have anything, there's requests that you can fill out. The request is going to cost you to come see the doctor. It's going to cost you to get medicine. Thankfully, I don't get sick very often at all. I was never sick while I was incarcerated. Um, I never had to go see the nurse. However, I did see those who did. And when they did, if they were in pain from an abscessed tooth or just a common cold, flu, cough, whatever it may be, oftentimes these people didn't have money to even pay. Or if they did get money or didn't have money at the time but were planning on getting money at some future event, they would incur $22, $15 for the doctor visit, $7 for the prescription, the antibiotic or whatever it may be. And so now, if they have no money, they have a negative $22 debt. So then for Christmas, Aunt Judy or whoever sends $25 thinking, hey, I'm really you know, helping them out. 
they'll be able to order some commissary and maybe a thermal shirt or whatever it may be. And the jail takes that money because you owed us $22. So then you start finding and seeing people not wanting to go get to the doctor, not wanting to have something, their common cold taken care of because they're like, well, I don't want to spend that money. In Howard County, a little of that is similar, but they do a little bit more extensive initial intake with you. And if you are feeling ill, they will give you the medicine right then as opposed to having to fill out a slip and all this. They'll see you, you know, within certain hours, but you don't have to wait a day or two to be seen. I mean, a common cold may, your fever, if you have a fever, it could break and you could be better by the time the doctor could even come see you here. But with all the different volunteers, with all the different programs and options that are not just available down here in Monroe County. I was quite shocked and surprised to find that there's not better health care within the jail. Volunteers in Medicine down here has asked to be able to come in and help out. I mean, they're already volunteering their time and their knowledge and, and what have you, but I guess they've been turned away. I don't know the inner workings of whys and, and, and whatnot, but when, you, when I was a trustee, if you were to injure yourself, you would accidentally cut your finger or burn yourself, because it occurred up there, just like that, they would help you. The inmate wasn't going to have to pay for it because it occurred while working for and that's the way they looked at it. Maybe some of that had to do with who's in charge upstairs, and she says, well, if they cut themselves while they're up here, you're going to fix it, and you know, you're not just going to dismiss it and make them fill out a request form or anything like that. You know, and the other thing in like Howard County, if you have a headache and you need Tylenol, when the medical cart comes around every night to pass those who are on medication, you can go say, I'd like to have some Tylenol. And yes, they'll charge you a quarter, but you will get it right then. Here in Monroe County, you can only order three packages of ibuprofen a week. Well, if I get a headache Friday night, commissary was passed that morning and I don't have any, I can place an order for them, but I'm not going to get them until next Friday and chances are my headache's going to be gone by then. Then it becomes the issue of having to ask around or, hey, I'll, I'll order you some, but can I get some now? I got a headache right now, which, you know, but they're relying, you're relying on yourself or another inmate to, to help you out at that point when clearly, I mean, people are going to get headaches. You know, sometimes you just need a couple of Tylenol. If you come in with a broken foot or even if you come in and you're healthy and you, and you trip down the stairs and you break an ankle because you need a crutch, they put you in an isolated cell. They put you in a medical segregation to where now you're by yourself 24 hours a day. That's, in my opinion, that's not good for anybody. Most of these people are addicts. Most of these people, when they're using, they isolate themselves. All going into an isolation environment again is doing is triggering them to want to use. But they want to say, well, it's for the safety of everybody else. This guy's got a broken foot. He's in there by himself. Why? You know, you're not giving him narcotic drugs. He can't talk to anybody other than the nurse or the guards when they come by to feed him three times a day. Do I have the answer? No. But I know what they're doing isn't working. That's not specific to the Monroe County Jail. That's that's the institutions, it's prisons and jails as we know it. Thanks so much to Craig for sharing his insights with us. This has been KiteLine. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. KiteLine wants your feedback. You can reach us via email at 
KiteLineRadio at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Are you or someone you care about affected by the prison system? You can call us to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512 or you can use this number to record a message to a loved one behind bars. You can hear previous episodes of our show or get more information on the prisoners or stories covered on KiteLine at our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. Join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our communities. Thank you for listening.